Good morning. Let me go ahead and get started. Back to Job. Job chapter 38 is where we left off. We're getting close to the end, honestly. Just five more chapters. Of course, chapter 38 is going to take me forever, but uh, Job chapter 38 is where we've left off. And uh, we'll just pick it up right there in verse number one. We, we got just a few lines into the, into the chapter. But Job chapter 38, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest, or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, or who laid the cornerstone thereof, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Uh, so we'll pause right there, Job chapter 38. And uh, so God now has, has arrived on the scene, as in he's going to speak. Uh, he's been there the whole time. Job hasn't perceived him, but God's been watching and waiting. And here he is, and finally he starts. And once again, he's going to start here, and he'll speak all the way out to... Uh, chapter 41, verse 34, and then he picks it back up uh, ultimately. He goes out to 40, verse 2, I'm sorry, and then he uh, gives Job three verses in there, and then from verse 6 on to verse, chapter 41, verse 34, God's going to speak, and so he's, he's covering the whole gambit. Uh, the whirlwind shows up, we looked at that last time as well, and how uh, the Lord shows up at 2 Kings chapter 2 to get Elijah, he's got a whirlwind there. Uh, second advent, he comes with a whirlwind. Uh, and now here in chapter 38, God's going to uh, bring him into question here. And he's got 40 questions in the chapter, if my count is right. Uh, he's got 40 questions. And so, of course, 40 is the number of testing. And he's been testing Job. And Job's going to come up here, and God's going to bring Job into accountability. Notice what he said there in verse number 3. Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Now, Job's been looking for God to give him some answers, and that's not how it works. <laughs> uh, he, you don't get to have God give you the answers just because you want them. Uh, the Lord's answer is, no, I'm going to ask you some questions. You answer me. That's how this works. Uh, and so Job's, Job's going to be in for it for this entire chapter and then some. And so let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get into the questioning uh, of Job here from God. Lord, we pray you would just uh, bless the hour, bless the day. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ and the redemption that was brought to us at Calvary. I pray that you would uh, once again just bless the day with, uh, Lord, I pray we'd have some visitors come in. I pray they'd hear the gospel and they'd call upon Jesus Christ today to save them. Father, I pray you would bless the uh, Sunday school hour, be with our teachers, Father, and help us all to have some good wisdom and understanding as we teach and as we speak. I pray you'd be with Lord, Mrs. Carpenter, as she uh, takes a few moments today in the ministry that, that you've asked her to work with and start and, and be a part of, Father, I pray that you would bless that and help us to, to see the need. Father, be with Pastor Legos. He preaches as well that you just lay your hand upon him, give him the strength he needs. And Father, I pray once again, Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up and we'd hear a trumpet sound even today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here we are, Job chapter 38, and uh, Job's going to get asked the questions. He starts off in verse number two, first question, who is this? <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of Job, who do you think you are, Job, basically? Uh, who is this 
uh, that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge. Uh, Job doesn't know what's happened. He doesn't know chapter 1 and chapter 2. He doesn't know the discussion between God and Satan and how that all went. He has no clue what's going on. He has no idea that God has uh, basically put all of, uh, all of his support into Job. Uh, he understands, he trusts Job. And Job didn't understand that God, this is all part of the trust that God had for him. Uh, and Job doesn't even know it. And Job doesn't understand that God is there. He also has uh, really no way to stand on the question of the goodness of God. He has no idea about the goodness of God and what God's doing in, in chapters 1 and 2 and then how he's going to be working through the rest of the book. Uh, Job just, he's speaking without knowledge. He doesn't know what God's doing. He knows that he doesn't know what God's doing, but he won't relinquish the fact that he's righteous and won't just yield to what God wants him to be and what he wants him to do. And so it's, it's the question of who is he uh, that comes without knowledge. This, this guy's he doesn't know. And then verse 4, he said, where, uh, where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Uh, Job uh, has no answer for that question. <laughs> uh, he's, he, he has no answer. Uh, where were you? Well, I wasn't. Uh, I, I didn't exist. Uh, God lays the foundations. Uh, where were you? Well, I was nowhere. <laughs> uh, verse four, uh, he was nowhere. Verse five, who has, who hath laid the measures thereof? If thou knowest, or who hath stretched the line upon it? Uh, you have no worldly answer without a Bible. You don't have the answer to any of these questions right here. Uh, where, wh- how did God do all those things? Well, the world will go, well, you know, it was just this accident and a, an explosion happened and then stuff came together and it was amazing. Okay, well, that doesn't make any sense. And then you turn around and you get to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 and you have the answer. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was out form of void. And you go through Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, you have the creation of the universe and you realize very quickly uh, there is an answer. But Job doesn't have the answer. Genesis isn't written. Now he knows that God created it, but he doesn't know how he did it. He doesn't know what happened. The day that God created a universe, he doesn't understand that God just spoke it into existence. He doesn't have those assurances. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest, and who hath stretched the line upon it? Uh, Who's the one who ordered it, designed it, and laid it all out, and put it all in order? Well, God did. Well, Job, were you there to witness it? No. <laughs> nope. You weren't there to witness it. Verse, uh, verse 6, Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, or who, hath, or who laid the cornerstone thereof? Uh, you look over at Job chapter 26. Go back, hold your place right here. Job chapter 26. He made that statement. Uh, where... Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Uh, where, did God, where did God attach the foundations of the earth? Well, he didn't. <laughs> Verse number 7. He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. That's a trick question. Right? The world wants to go, well, you know, he, 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 you know the world is attached. It's sitting on a tortoise. It's, you know, whatever. Nope. It's hanging on nothing. Job, where did I attach the foundations? I didn't. I'm holding the foundations together. That's who's holding that together. Where'd the cornerstone get laid? I'm the cornerstone. I'm the one holding it together. 
Uh, you, you don't get any of that without the Scriptures. Uh, we understand that, the, that without him, Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, Job has no revelation of Jesus Christ. He has no definition of what the cornerstone is. He has no idea. Job can't answer one of these questions. He can't. And that's the whole point. God's going, this is me, and that's you way down there, Job. The entirety of this questioning is, I'm God, and I get to do what I like because I'm God, and you are the creation. And you're part of the creation. And the goodness of God doesn't change, but when you have to put things back in perspective, it's because you haven't listened to the idea of he's God and his thoughts are not your thoughts. And Job is about to get learned in my thoughts are not your thoughts. And that's the entirety of this chapter right here. Uh, He says, uh, who laid the cornerstone thereof when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Uh, who's Who's the one that, uh, who's the place where God put the first piece? Well, nobody knows. God knows exactly where he put it and how he laid it. Uh, but the angels know. Notice he says that the morning stars sang together. Uh, the angels, hold your place right here. We'll just grab Revelation chapter 1. Real quick. And you get, uh, of course, the seven candlesticks and the seven, notice the seven stars. And verse number uh, 16, he had in his right hand seven stars. Verse number 20, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Uh, Over and over again, you can find, we've done it before, uh, we've found the stars, the morning stars, they're angels. That's who they are. They're a picture to the angels. Uh, You can go back to Job chapter 38. Uh, The idea of the birth of Christ and the star that stays over the top of the place where he is doesn't make any sense to make it a star that's thousands, yea, millions of miles away. Uh, And it comes to rest over the place. How do you figure that out? Uh, Well, you wouldn't. It'd have to be over the place. That makes it an angel. And so on. You can get all sorts of references. Uh, But then you get to that that second part there, and he says in verse number 7, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now this is where, this is where you, have to, you have to understand the scriptures as a whole on it because uh, you go, well, the sons of God, you know, that's the, people go, well, that's the godly line of Seth. That doesn't make any sense right here. <laughs> they weren't there when he laid a foundation. They weren't there when, he was jo- when they were full of joy laying the foundations of the earth. It doesn't work. Uh, so let's look at a couple of things. Uh, that phrase, the sons of God, only appears 11 times in the Scriptures. Go back to Genesis, of course, Genesis chapter 6. Now in Genesis chapter 6, you have uh, two references to it right here in chapter 6, uh, early in the chapter. Verse 1, and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man for that he is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days and also after that 
when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Uh, so you find that the sons of God, when they cohabitate with the daughters of men, they get children, and those children are giants and mighty men of renown. Well, that doesn't happen with just the godly line of Seth. It doesn't even make sense. That's humanity with humanity. This is something different, something that's changed. It's the angels that have left their first estate that show up. Uh, go back to Job chapter 1. We'll look at a few of these because I want to show you something really cool here in a minute. I know we've covered the sons of God a little bit before. Obviously, all the way back to Job chapter 1, we were talking about it. Uh, verse number 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. You get it again in chapter 2 and verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came, all, uh, came also among them to present himself before the Lord. That's obviously not humans showing up. It's not a godly line of Seth. It's obviously the angels. Satan comes among them uh, to, try and, to try and give the account uh, of what he's doing. And so, of course, uh, the next reference is in chapter 38 and verse 7. That's all the Old Testament references to the sons of God. Every one of them is a picture to the angels. Now here's something interesting. You hit John chapter 1 and he makes a change. You know the spot I'm going. John chapter 1, verse number 12, right? Familiar spot. He says, uh, John, 12, verse number, or John 1, verse number 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, the New Testament makes a change. Uh, I, f I firmly believe, I'm going to slide some extra stuff in here just because I like it. Uh, I, I believe that the reason he does this, he sets it up that you and I, as the children of God now, the adopted sons, uh, step in. And what we have done is we have replaced what he had as the sons of God before. He purposely does it. Now he's going to do that, and I'm going to show you a couple extra things. Look over at Romans chapter 8 on it. Romans chapter 8. Verse number, uh, well, we'll just grab verse 14. I hope you know the context. I don't really want to read an entire chapter to get you context, all right? Um, understand the context, right? He's, he's talking about us not, having, not being condemned anymore in the chapter and living spiritually minded as opposed to uh, carnally minded. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's who we are. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of of the sons of God. When's the manifestation? For the creature 
which was made, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So when you and I are set at liberty, then when's that a rapture <laughs> or death, one or the other, and we get to go and we're set it free from the bondage of the corruption that you and I are in. And it makes manifest, it shows who the children of God are. And we're sons of God now. And we've taken a place and a position that used to be held. Ultimately, uh, notice the sons of God show up and Satan came also among them. Uh, there's a reason that Satan is so far against the church. I've talked a little bit about this before. In fact, in this same chapter, you have that promise that height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. The creature, notice the creature is subject right there. That creature keeps showing up. That's why when you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he makes the statement that you're a new creature in Christ, old things are passed away, that's why all the new versions change it to your new creation in Christ. So what do you lose? You lose the cross-reference to the creature. And by the way, the cherubs, as they come out, Ezekiel chapter 1, he saw the creatures. They're cherubs. Say, what happened? Lucifer fell, and now there's no creature that can separate you from the love of God. Because he's no longer going to be a son of God. He's eliminated. And he's been replaced. And by the way, you get into the idea of every precious stone was this covering, the topaz and the sardis and the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, and so on. You can talk to Brother Dan Swan. He's got a wonderful video on that. Um, and all the stones and what they're designed to do to reflect and refract the light of God. He's got them, and he's covered with gold. And his job was to make music, Ezekiel chapter 28. New Jerusalem comes down, behold, the Lamb's wife. Well, we're in that city, and the Lamb is the light thereof. So what does he do? He takes the sons of God, he puts them into a city, and their job is to praise him. Well, that was Lucifer's job before he fell. And they're in a city where God's the light thereof. Well, positionally, that was the job for Lucifer, the light bearer, was to go ahead and reflect and refract the light of God because he's covering all those gemstones and the pure gold. Well, he's replaced by a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And it's covered in gemstones, the 12 foundations, and it's got streets of gold. Say, so what did it do? It replaced Lucifer. It's the new light bearer. Say, so who's that? That's you and I. We've replaced him. We've become the sons of God. We've taken the place of those who are supposed to praise him. That's, that's what he's done. You get to the New Testament, we can run the other ones if you wanted to. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15, if you want to write these down, I won't turn to all these. Uh, and then 1 John chapter 3. Verses 1 and 2 is probably one of the more famous ones. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Uh, over and over, you say, how does this work? Old Testament, you find out they're the angels. New Testament, it becomes the children of God, as in the saved and the church and his bride. There's the distinction. And it's never the godly light of Seth, in case you're wondering. You can argue with me later, but... You've got no legs to stand on, so uh, go back to Job chapter 38. Yes, sir. 
we take on the attributes of Jesus Christ. We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Uh, Job chapter 38. I told you there was a lot in this chapter. And uh, I just cranked out a whole lot, just right there. So, let's, let's keep going though. Job chapter 38. He says in verse number 8, Or who shut up the sea with doors? When it break forth as if it had issued out of the womb, when I made the cloud the garment thereof, and thick darkness as a swaddling band for it, and break up for, for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors, and said, Hitherto shalt thou, not come, shalt thou come, but no further, and here shall thy proud waves be stayed. So here he is, and now he's going to talk about all sorts of things, but uh, who's keeping the water where it belongs? That's the big question right there. Uh, who decides where the water gets to go and where it doesn't get to go? <laughs> Obviously, it's just it's gravity, right? We hold gravity holds everything right where it's supposed to go. Well, what's gravity? Go ahead, and find a scientist that can tell you what gravity is and how it actually works. They know that it works. <laughs> That's about all they can tell you. They can tell you that it works. They can tell you the force is constant with this and with that. And they can, they can measure it. Now, how does it work? They don't know. They have no clue how it works. Not how it actually works. That, where did it come from? Well, they don't know that either. What keeps water where it's supposed to be? God does. Well, yeah, but... Doesn't gravity and, and, and you just, if you can just keep it all contained, it'll be fine. Well, yeah, but he's the only one who can contain it. I'm going to get into this, some of the more of this stuff later, but you realize that the world itself is made up of more water than land. We understand the covering of the face of the earth is about 70% water. By the way, that's the human body. Something about that. Anyways, um, and uh, as you go through the idea, you and I wouldn't have made a world with 70% coverage in water. We'd have wanted more land than that. God didn't want more land than that because it didn't work right. He knew what functionality is. Uh, you put too much land on the planet and, and you don't have enough water, then you don't get the right cooling and the right processes. Then all life dies. It doesn't work that way. Amazingly enough, you can't get life without water. And... Uh, I preached on it last week. I'm trying to remember when I preached it. <laughs> I preached on it last week, right? His statement to the woman at the well, if you knew who, who you were talking to, you'd ask me, I'd have given you living water. And you'd have drank that, you'd never thirst again. Uh, you can't live without water. And, but he has to set boundaries to it. If he doesn't set boundaries to it, the water would overrun everything and you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have what you have. He also sets boundaries because he sets up as the, as the deep and the firmament and the divide between heaven. We talked about that last time as well. Uh, if he does not go ahead and close that up and separate it and set up the boundaries of a universe, well, then you don't have a universe. <laughs> uh, he has to set up the boundaries between the eternal and the temporal that he has created. So you've got the sea of glass that we talked about last time. And you've got that deep, the water that's there. 
And he divides the waters from the waters in Genesis chapter 1 to set himself a firmament, an open expanse in the middle so he can put all the stars and the planets in. That's what he's done. Uh, we've talked about that when I taught on Genesis and even here through Job, we've talked about it repeatedly. Uh, and he goes ahead and sets that up. And so that's why, uh, notice, interestingly enough, uh, he shut up the sea with doors in verse number 8. When it break forth as if it issued out of the womb, he goes ahead and puts the waters where he wants it. He opens the doors when he needs to and closes them back up. And then he says, uh, and break, it up, break up, verse number 10, for my decree place, and set bars and doors. He sets the place that he wants the water, and he puts bars and doors there to contain what he wants. Uh, you say, where did all the water come from for a flood? He opened it up when he wanted to. He opened the deep, and then he put it back where he wanted it. <laughs> say, where'd all that water go that was on the planet? Well, it can't just stay in the clouds. That's too much water. Say, where'd he put it? He put it back where he got it from. He opens it when he wants to, and then he puts it back, and he closes it back where he wants it. That's not difficult for him. Might be difficult for us, but it's not difficult for him. And he's opening and closing those doors whenever he feels like it. <laughs> now, thankfully, he put a rainbow up, and he told us that he wouldn't flood the earth again with water. Don't get me started on that right there, because I'm going to get angry. But thankfully, he didn't promise he wouldn't flood it with something else, because he's going to flood it with fire and burn it for... See, right there, I wanted to make a statement. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just say it's fitting that you call yourself a bundle of sticks. Because it's made to be burned. Anyways, um, verse number 12, <laughs> before I say things I shouldn't say, um, Verse number 12, he, he continues, he says, Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days, and caused the day spring to know his place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, that the wicked might be shaken out of it? It is turned as clay to the seal, and they stand as a garment. And from the wicked their light is withholden, and the high arm shall be broken. Now this, this is pretty awesome. Um, this whole section right here. Uh, verse number 12, I'll, I'll get the brief statement in first. Hast thou commanded the morning? Uh, do you tell the sun when to get up? <laughs> Are you the one who says, uh, I'd like the sunrise to be at 6.58 today? Nope, you don't get to tell it. You know what's amazing? We have, a, we have a timer on the lights outside the building. Right? They come on. And I, I bought a new timer because the other one got broken, the mechanical one, right? So I got this cool digital one. It's got battery backup, so I don't have to keep going in there and fixing it if the power goes out and everything else, right? And uh, you know what it has? It has an automatic sunset and sunrise timer. I don't have to adjust it. Daylight savings time, it's automatically pro. I don't worry about a thing. I don't have to touch it ever again, hopefully, right? Why? Because all of that's predictable. You realize the sunrise and the sunset is always predictable? They know when it's going to be to the minute. <laughs> Say why? Because they're not the one. You don't get to decide when it happens. He decides. Yes? 
Yes. Well, neither do I. Um, <laughs> you don't, it, it, it is. It's the pride of man. The idea, well, we're going to keep everything in order. And it's going to be us who, who it, it follows the same line of thinking that you've got, um, you've got religion that believes they're going to usher in a kingdom, uh, right? The Roman Catholic Church and everybody else, you know, go ahead and just keep piling up religions, right? It's we're going to make everything good enough and get it ready and then Jesus is going to reign. Or Muhammad would, you know, and so on and down. And we're going to make everything great and we're building a kingdom right here. Well, that's arrogant pride. Well, we're going to keep the planet. Well, they're just worshiping something different, and instead they're going to usher in greatness. <laughs> we're going to make everything better. Um, amazingly enough, I'm going to, I really don't want to get into this, but I'll say it. Um, amazingly enough, you get into the idea that uh, uh, you can control the climate. So, you know, New York State's decided that we're going to have this great, this great idea that uh, uh, we want everything to go electric, you realize that? I don't know if you've seen a bunch of those bills, uh, right? So uh, no more wood stoves. Yeah, how do you like that? Uh, you can't burn wood That's because that's a horrible thing because the world doesn't go ahead and have forest fires constantly. Anyways, um, you know, just terrible, right? They don't want you to burn wood. Well, then, you know, you can't get natural gas because that's terrible. Uh, propane is awful for the world as well. So uh, you can't have any of that. So what we're going to do is we're going to have electricity. How do you get electricity? Just out of curiosity. Uh, yeah, yeah, you just flip the switch, right? That's, all, that's obviously, it's perfectly clean energy. Say, what is that? Stupidity. That's what that is. They have no idea where anything comes from, but if we can make it sound good, we can put it on paper and then make you pay for way more expensive things. Guaranteed. It's ridiculous. Anyways, I'm going to get all fired up, and nobody's saving anything. And by the way, no matter how much New York State saves, uh, China has burned more things than you possibly could imagine. Uh, their carbon footprint is uh, going to massively... You aren't going to change the climate on this side of the planet, all right? Because maybe nobody else knows how that works, but if they destroy it on their half... You and I are just as destroyed. It doesn't make any difference. Um, whew, help us. Anyways, I'm getting back on this because I'm going to get all mad. Uh, he says, uh, he, basically, hey, can you, control, can, can you control when the sun comes up and when it sets? Absolutely not. You can't. You don't have a say in that. You don't have any say in that. God's determined the times and the seasons, and he tells you that. And all the way back to Genesis, it's determined that the sun rises and the sun sets. And the only time there's a variation is when God said so. When did he say so? When Joshua asked him to stop the sun from moving. And so he did. <laughs> when they go ahead and turn the clock back, <laughs> he goes ahead and does that. Best daylight savings time ever. Anyways, um, he says in verse number 13, that it might take hold uh, of the ends of the earth, that the wicked might be shaken out of it. Uh, now notice, the sun reaches from pole to pole, although not as long at certain ends, uh, of course. Uh, but the sun gets there. The sun gets all the way to where Matt and Jen are in Article Alaska. It gets there. Uh, it doesn't stay long, but it gets there. 
It reaches pole to pole. There's no problem with that. Uh, and the earth, as it spins, uh, notice what he says about it. And uh, he says that it might take hold of the ends of the earth. Verse 14, it is turned as clay to the seal, and they stand as a garment. Uh, he turns the earth as clay. There's the earth to the seal. Uh, say, what's he doing? He's rolling, he's rolling the earth on a seal like they would have for a letter. Right? They, they stamp it with a seal, and they kind of roll that seal over to make sure everything's down and, and packed in. Well, that's what he does. He rolls it as a seal, and the, it's getting stamped to what? Toward the sun. Now, this is where we no longer get to talk about the one. Well, yeah, I just eliminated a flat earth again. Um, hard to turn a seal, uh, turn, turn it over on a seal if it's not. Anyways, um, just the circle. Of the, there's too many verses. Um, and so you get here and he says, uh, the sun. Look over at Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. Now, he's got it turning, he's got it moving, he's doing, he's doing what he does, he turns it to the sun, and then you get to verse chapter, Malachi chapter 4 and verse number 1, he says, for behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, hey, there they are, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But, as, but unto you that fear my name shall the sun, look at that, S-U-N. That's not S-O-N, that's S-U-N. You say, why did he do that? He did it on purpose. How do you know that? Because every word of God is pure. The sun of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall, and ye shall tread down the wicked. For they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Uh, Jesus Christ is also a reference there. Uh, Second Advent, he's referenced as the sun rising as he comes in. He comes in in the day of battle there, and he's coming as the sun of righteousness. And he's arising, and he's bringing judgment and fire. Uh, that's part of what he does. And he comes in. Uh, notice what he does in Luke chapter 1. Go over to Luke chapter 1. Second Advent, he came as he as a burning fire is what he's going to come as. And he's going to come up and consume them in his judgment. But you get over to Luke chapter 1. Now you're at his first Advent. Verse number uh, 78. Well, 70. Oh, 76. <laughs> and thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. Oh, there he is, the day spring. To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child shall grow and and the child grew and waxed strong in the spirit, and he was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. Uh, of course, John the Baptist is the child that he's speaking of, and then the day spring, the day spring comes. <laughs> Jesus shows up to do what? A light to lighten the Gentiles, a light to lighten everybody, uh, to them that sit in darkness. That's his job. As he shows up, he's a light. That's the sun. It's a great picture. 
And on top of that, notice what he'll do. Go back to Psalm chapter 18. Psalm chapter 18. The light showed up at the first advent to lighten their way so that they actually come to him. They reject him, and the light comes to burn them up the second time. The sun shows up, and he's righteous, and he's going to be righteous in his judgment. And you get to Psalm chapter 18, second advent passage, right? That spot where he's the, the fire, <laughs> and he's burning, and he's consuming. Psalm 18, verse number 7. Then the earth shook and trembled. Well, isn't that what he's doing back there? The earth's shaking and trembling there in Job chapter 38? He grabs the ends of the earth. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. At the brightness that was before him, his thick clouds passed, hailstones and, and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. Yea, he set out his arrows and scattered them, and he shot out lightnings and discomfited them. Then the channels of waters were seen, and the foundations of the world were discovered at thy rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. Here he comes. You say, what does he do? He shakes it. He shakes the earth. The earth trembles when he shows up. Uh, look back there at Job chapter 38, just a few pages back, Job chapter 38, notice he said uh, in verse number 13, the morning shows up, in verse number 12, the day spring shows up, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth. Why? That the wicked might be shaken out of it. Say, so what was he doing? He, why do they tremble? He grabs the earth and goes, get off of there. <laughs> He shakes it, and he shakes it in his power. It's trembling because it's afraid the Creator is now coming down, and it's, it's finally showing up as the fear of the Lord, and the earth is trembling. The earth itself trembles. Why? Because it knows its Creator better than man does. Uh, I won't get into that very far, even though I could. Uh, but instead, notice what he said. He said, it is turned to clay as the seal, and they stand as a garment, and from the wicked... Their light is withholden, and the high arm shall be broken. Uh, the wicked end up having the light holden from them. Uh, look over at Second Thessalonians chapter two. Second Thessalonians chapter two. For them, the light is withholden. Uh, light, a reference, of course, to Jesus Christ, also a reference to the truth. Uh, right, the idea, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. But also, uh, right, his, his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. All tying in together, the written word with the incarnate word of Jesus Christ. And he says in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, right, we are at the, uh, the revelation of the mystery of iniquity here. 
and the Antichrist, and he says in verse number 8, Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he calleth you, called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, and so on. He'll go, uh, but we'll stop right there. Uh, you say, what's he doing? He sends them a strong delusion, what? That they should believe a lie. They don't want the light. They reject the light. The wicked man doesn't want it. So what does he do? He leaves them in darkness. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't give them any light. Uh, he withholds the light. Uh, it gets to the place like he did with Pilate. Pilate, he gets truth, 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 truth to Pilate. Pilate comes walking in, wants one more answer. The Lord says, nope, you've had enough light. What are you going to do with it? He gave him enough truth, and Pilate didn't want it. Well, what is truth? Okay, well, you don't want it. Uh, you don't want it, then you don't get it. He doesn't have to continue. Romans chapter 1 is the other passage for it, right? They go ahead and they glorify him not as God, neither were thankful, right? They worship the creature more than the creator who is blessed forevermore. What does he do? He just lets them keep walking. He doesn't have to fix it. Why? They made a choice. They chose not to follow what he wanted them to follow. They chose to continue, and so what does he do? He gives them up to a reprobate mind. He gives them over to the things that aren't convenient. He goes and he just lets them keep going. Why? Because they didn't want to listen to the light that they had in the first place. They didn't want to listen to the invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. What, what happens then? Well, so that they are without excuse. They have no excuse not to follow him. They have no excuse not to, not to turn and do the right thing. They chose their wickedness, and so he goes, okay, fine. I don't have to give you any more light. I don't have to lead you in this direction. Yes, sir. That is a ref, uh, that's a reference to the rapture at the beginning of the chapter because he is letting them know that the rapture hasn't happened yet because these things, and so you don't have to be worried about these things that he's talking about. This is the idea that a false doctrine had come into a mid-trib rapture idea or a, or a post-tribulation rapture. He's eliminating the idea of a, or a, of a mid-trib or a post-trib rapture. He's saying, hey, the, these things, there's a gathering together that'll happen then these things will happen. And then the delusion will come. Yes. Okay. And in some ways, is there a delusion even today, even back in Paul's time, when he was well, Romans? Well, you have that. You have that. That's automatic. Okay. Uh, there's, there's always that. That's Romans chapter 1. There's, it's over and over. They make a choice. The wicked man makes a choice, and that's always going to be the case. Even, even back to Job. Um, they, they make a choice, they choose, and they don't, they don't do what they're supposed to do, and God lets them believe. Uh, Satan is already at work, he says. Uh, they're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, one more place, go to Zechariah chapter 11, because i got to stop. Zechariah chapter 11. 
as much as I don't want to stop because I'm, I'm enjoying myself this morning. But Zechariah chapter 11. Do you believe it's been 45 minutes already? I'm not ready for that. Um, he, said, he said that his, I, we didn't go back to Job 38, but he made that mention, the wicked man, right? Uh, his high arm shall be broken. Uh, high being a reference to his pride and so on. Uh, but his arm will be broken. Uh, Zechariah chapter 11. So who's that a reference to? Uh, verse number 17 We'll just get the verse that I need. Uh, he says, Woe to the idle shepherd, I-D-O-L, reference to the Antichrist, that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm, and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean dried up, and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. The Lord breaks his arm. <laughs> Cuts it off, probably. But it gets broken off. Uh, Say, so what happens to the wicked? There it is. Uh, so what, what was that a reference to? Tribulation. Over and over again throughout the book of Job, we're in the tribulation. 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 Uh, coming to the second advent. We're getting down to the end of Job, especially now. Uh, as you get down to the end of Job, we get more closer to the idea of the, re- the, the salvation to the nation of Israel coming in and the Redeemer showing up. Uh, and so we'll get into more of this next time. Uh, only got through 15, but we'll see. Uh, let's have a word of prayer. We'll take a break. Father, I thank you for the day. I thank you for your goodness. I pray, Lord, that you would just bless the rest of the day with the services. Help us. Strengthen us. Lord, be with the pastor. Give him wisdom as he preaches. And uh, once again, we pray you'd bless the day in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, take a break.